All right, so welcome back to another episode of The Shadows of Jesus. And today I'm joined by Carter Vine. Who's recording the video? Also me. <laughs> Are you double? Maybe. Yeah. There might be a clone over there. Yeah, just hit it and roll. Um, thanks for jumping on, man. Yeah, absolutely. So last week we, we were in 1 Corinthians, covered the whole thing, and now we're in 2 Corinthians. Um, First Corinthians, I mean, it's like this messed up church, messed up people, a lot of stuff. Like, you guys got to stop doing this stuff. Like, you can't be sleeping with your dad's new wife. Like, yeah. um, and so after he writes that letter, does the church in Corinth just change? Absolutely not. So they're, 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 they don't receive this message and think like, oh, you're right, Paul. Like, they kind of re- reject it. So yeah. what, does, what does Paul do? Well, um, Paul writes another letter, but it's not Second Corinthians. Yeah, so like he, he it says he, he he goes and visits them. Yeah, <laughs> is it a good visit? No, it's a painful visit. Yeah. Then after that, he's like, I gotta write a letter to him, and we don't have that letter recorded. And so this mm-hmm. is kind of confusing because in First Corinthians we find out he already wrote a letter, right? Which would make First Corinthians actually Second Corinthians. Corinthians. Then after Second Corinthians, he writes another letter. Yeah, um, and then <laughs> this letter, Second Corinthians, is in response to the. Third letter. So this is actually second Corinthians is actually fourth, fourth Corinthians. Corinthians. Yeah. Either way, um, we don't have those other two letters. They're not the authoritative word of God. Even if we found them, we wouldn't put them in the Bible. Um, we've got first and second Corinthians. But just to know, like these aren't necessarily the only letters that Paul wrote yeah. to this church. I think church. I'd be I'd be interested to know what's in the other ones. <laughs> yeah. So um, so but after after Paul visits visits them, after he writes a follow-up letter between first and second Corinthians. Um, he gets word that the people are like, Hey, we, we messed up. Like we want to yeah. make sure that we're good with you. And so this letter is kind of in response to him completing that process and making sure that they're good. Yeah. Uh, but what's interesting is, is kind of one of the things that's caused tension or friction is that there are some people that are like discrediting Paul. Mm-hmm. They're like, look at that guy. Like, He's nothing impressive. I mean, nothing in his life ever goes well. You really gonna follow that guy? And he kind of mockingly later in the letter calls him super super apostles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like it was super apostles over there. Um, and so we'll, we'll kind of unpack a little bit more more of that. But um, but that's caused some tension. But now the people are like, hey, we realize those people were wrong. We trust you. We want to follow your leadership. Except for there's yeah, there's just a little bit of a holdout group. A little bit of hold out group. All right, so so let's jump in. Um, in chapter one, I mean, I love the amount of times that Paul says comfort. Like, like there's this, and that's throughout the whole letter. Like, he he wants to be a comforter. He doesn't want to just always be harsh right. yeah. to this church. Um, but in light of like the super apostles who are really impressive people, he's like, look, my job isn't to be some impressive person. I don't want to. I don't want to be like, well, look at how nice my watch is. You can trust me. He's like, I'm not trying to point anybody to me. Mm-hmm. To make me look impressive, he's like, I'm trying to point people to Jesus because yeah. all of God's promises find their find their yes in Him. All of God's promises find their fulfillment in Him. So my job's not to ever have myself postured or positioned for you to be like, man, look how good. that guy must be a man of God. Look at him. Mm-hmm. He's like, like if you see me, you've missed the point. Like I want my life to point beyond myself for you to see Jesus. And so that gets us to chapters, you know, two through five. And I think some people break first Corinthians down into three sections, chapters one through seven. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of the reconciliation process. Yeah. Chapters eight and nine, generosity. 
and then chapters 10 through 13, kind of like that. I don't wrap up. Yeah. Final charge. Yeah. Challenge. Anyways, well, chapters two and five. Um, I already mentioned that Paul wasn't an impressive guy. Apparently, this, like, one particular person, like a really impressive dude, shows up. He gets everyone to turn on Paul. And, and so now, at this point, people have turned on the, the impressive guy. They're like, you'd led us astray. You're a false prophet, a false apostle, whatever you want to say. And they're like harshly coming down on this guy. Mm-hmm. They're like, like, like they're, they're like, he's not welcome at church. You know, it's like, it's like, you've messed up too much. Like, we don't want to be around you. Like, I don't know if they're just not giving it up. Like, I, I think about the amount of times, like, have you ever taken a joke too far? Or oh, like, yeah. or like, you know, you're, you're ragging someone and it's like, it was funny. And then eventually it's like, you have that, mm, like, maybe kind of moment. Yeah. I should have stopped like, two comments ago. Like Paul sees what they're doing to this guy. And what does he tell him? He's like, you need to forgive him. Yeah. So it's like, like you guys, the watch, the world's watching us live our lives. And our whole message is built off of how we've been forgiven. He's like, like, who are we not to forgive others? Like you guys need to forgive this guy. Mm -hmm. And so he challenges them to forgive them. And he says like, as we forgive, that's literally spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of God. That's, that's chapter two, verse 14. It's like, as we forgive, because we're a people who have been forgiven much, mm-hmm. like that's spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of God into the world that we're in. It's like, so let's not be people who are holding a grudge. Not let, Let's not be people who can't reconcile or move on. And so we're going to get it. There's more about reconciliation later. But right. um, so Paul's not just trying to get these people to reconcile to him. He's trying to get them to reconcile even to the people who caused the problem yeah. in the first place. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think it's like important to recognize that like the act of forgiveness is not it's not for the other person always, right? It's for me, right? Yeah. Like if I'm forgiving somebody, it's getting some some like the gunk out of me where I'm like holding on to this um grudge or this like in unforgiveness. Like maybe I'm standing in the way of my own connection with God. Mm-hmm. So maybe I feel distant from God because I'm consumed by my anger and my wrath, which are probably justified depending on what it is, but perhaps giving it up, I'm also, by giving it up, I'm able to experience another aspect of who God is that I wouldn't be able to if I hadn't. That's good. Um, (laughs) When I was in college, there was a girl that my friends and I all thought was kind of crazy. And um, and she spread a rumor that I'd kissed her. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was like, I never touched it. I think I'd never even been in the same room with like, like what? Like I, I was so mad. And, um, and so I just started telling everybody that she was crazy. I was like, I was like, she's crazy. Like, and, um, and, and I, I, was, I just want to make sure I could distance myself as far mm-hmm. as possible from her. And, um, and I was driving to the middle of, of West Texas, listening to a sermon. And this guy was pre- preaching on forgiveness. And he's like, when you hold a grudge against someone, it's like drinking poison and hoping it kills the person you're mad at. Yeah. You know? And I, and I was like, um, so I had to, I had to call and apologize. I'm like, Hey, I'm sorry. I was really harsh right. about you. I didn't don't like what you said, but <laughs> like, yeah. I, I can't, I can't hold this grudge. And you know, so that was like a very small moment about throughout my life now. I mean, I've got 20 plus years since then. Like I, I look back at that. I'm like, like the, when you hold into a grudge, it's like, it's like you're drinking poison. You're just, po- yeah. you're killing yourself from inside out. It's not your grudge isn't hurting them at all. It's mm-hmm. more destroying you. So yeah, I love what yeah. you said there. And, and of course that's not, we're not saying that as like a, a way of invalidating hurt the way that you're hurting or the emotions that you're feeling, but it's like 
there comes a time when forgiveness is necessary because it's what's hurting has gone on too long. Yeah. And you, there's no way that you can heal fully if you don't forgive. Yeah. And it's not making what happened okay. And it's not like suddenly releasing somebody of their fault and saying that, you know, it's like it never happened. But in some ways, maybe that is a part of it. Yeah. It's recognizing that it happened, but not giving it power over yourself anymore. Mm, that's good. That's good. We could do a whole podcast on forgiveness. Yeah. We should we should start compiling topics to do next year for for after we get through the Bible. Yeah. So maybe forgiveness. Know, be fun. Forgiveness will be one. Yeah. Um, did we just come up with our new podcast? I think we might have. Maybe indeed. Um, so by the time we get to chapter three, uh, like I said, there's a little bit of a holdout. Some people just they're not quite there on trusting Paul. So some people are like, okay, okay. Like I'm willing to reconcile. I'm I'm, I'm willing to follow your leadership. But do you have some letters or recommendation? It's always like you're, you're like in the hiring yeah. process. It's like, what's your resume? Like, are there three people that we could call as character references? Mm-hmm. And, and to this, Paul's like, what? Yeah. So like, what, what is like, what does he say in verses two and three in response to people saying like, I mean, we could really use some letters or recommendation. Could yeah. you have Peter and John write for you? Uh-huh. He says, you yourselves are our letters of recommendation written on our own hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Yeah, so he's pretty much he's pretty much saying like, the fact that you guys are a church is my letter of recommendation. Like, yeah. I planted you guys back in Acts 18. He's like, and the fact that you guys are, are alive and well and pursuing Christ, like that's all the credibility that I should need. Like you're my letter of recommendation. Which I think is really interesting considering who Paul is with like who he was in Jewish society. Yeah. Like his caliber of being a teacher, right? Like in the Jewish culture, like he absolutely, he doesn't need a a letter of recommendation because he was like top trained, but in a whole different world where it's Gentiles instead is the predominant area. It's like, that doesn't translate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he. I mean, he could have leveraged some of his credential. I mean, like mm-hmm. Paul of Tarsus. Like Tarsus's education rivaled Athens. I mean, like mm-hmm. it was an elite education. He had dual citizenship between Jerusalem and Rome. Yeah. Um. He was. He studied under like one of the most renowned rabbis of yeah. all time. Was a Pharisee. Had the Bible memorized, mm-hmm. or, the, or the the Jewish Bible, the right. Old Testament. Um. Dude, his credentials were mm-hmm. through the roof. But he's like, he never leveraged them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when people want to go toe to toe, he's like, "You sure about that?" Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I don't think you know what you're asking for. Yeah, but uh, well, the biggest thing for me in chapter three comes in verse eighteen. Read, read that real quick. Okay. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Yeah, so obviously, like you know, there's there's biblical theology and there's systematic theology, mm-hmm. and so systematic theology is when you take a topic. You try to see like how does how do we find that support throughout all of scripture? So this is a, a really big verse for the for the systematic theology topic of sanctification. Mm-hmm. And so we would call this progressive sanctification, the process of being made more and more like Christ. Um, but any any thoughts on this verse when you when you read that or have read it? Yeah. I, f- I feel like there's a lot of hope that it inspires by saying like becoming like Christ takes a lot of time. Yeah. And that when I'm really frustrated because I feel like the work being done in me is not being fast, like happening mm. fast enough. Yeah. 
that there's like a little bit of a reprimand here, but also saying like, hey, it's still going on. Even though it feels like it's not, it's still going on. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I, th- I think about, um, <coughs> sorry, we're both like a little little allergied <laughs> yeah. up. Um, when I was in seminary, I took a class on the Sermon on the Mount and um, and we just, we, we tried to see the Sermon on the Mount from as many angles as possible. Mm-hmm. And like we watched Jesus Christ Superstar. And uh, he's like, did you ever think about Jesus as a hippie? He's like, never. You know, like, but the way that the guy portrays Jesus, like when he's talking about a plank in the eye, like it's like not this somber, like, and you with a plank in your eye. It's like, it's like he's like, get a plank in your eye. Like, like it's kind of like, anyways, light and load. But one of the things we were talking about was a cartoon mm-hmm. <laughs> around the mount. Um, like, if you ever thought about like that in cartoon form. Oh, yeah. But when it showed the building of the house on the sand versus the rock, the guy in the sand was like, and it built it up real quick. And the guy on the rock was like chiseling, 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 mm-hmm. chiseling, and making like very, it was like this long process that wasn't quick. And um, think about like like yeah, the Protestant sanctification. It's 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 like this chiseling mm-hmm. of a rock. You know, it takes it takes time. So uh, yeah, it's definitely it's it's a process. It's not a one time event. That's why it says you are being. Yeah, it's a process. Which also, thank God, it's not a one time thing, right? Yeah, because if it was just from the moment of salvation that that was the one time that I was shaped to be like Christ, and then here I am years later, and I don't feel like it all the time. I mean, I feel like that'd be incredibly disheartening. Yeah. If I'm supposed to be like Christ and I'm not being continually formed, then, man, what is this? What is the point of all of this? This is how how quickly does it happen? One one degree. Yeah. It's it's not like, dude, you did a 180. It's like, (laughs) like a little Mm -hmm. little dot, little dot. But of course, Tommy, think about um, it's crazy. Have you ever, um, did you ever read the book Unbroken? I don't think so. Is that like Olympic runner dude that uh-huh. was like a, in a bomber? He was a bombardier. Anyways, um, he was talking about how like, during World War II, you know, planes would take off from these islands um, and they would go and hit their targets and come back. And he's like, mm-hmm. if you got off by one degree, like you would miss getting back to the island by miles. Right. Because one degree off makes a huge difference over the course of time. But when it comes to being one degree on towards Christ, it makes a huge difference over the course of time. So like mm-hmm. one degree now compounded of the course of your your life will make a lot bigger of a difference for making you more and more like Jesus. But it's just one degree to the next. And over the course of time, each one of those degrees compounding over the course of your Christian life will make a bigger and bigger impact. Yeah. Um, but I think something that's so big for me when thinking about the process of sanctification is like everyone's on their own journey. Right, like in everyone's like God might be working on something totally different in you than He is me. It's, he doesn't like choose to work on. It's not a it's not a conveyor belt. It's right. not like like I got on and like and I work on this like we're going to work on generosity and we're going to work on thought life. And we're going to work on anger. It's like it's like who knows? Like we 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 have our own journeys, um, but like don't compare your chapter three to like someone else's chapter twenty seven. You know, it's like like just because you aren't where someone else is doesn't mean you aren't exactly where you need to be or where you, where God has you for that season of life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I, I love that. It's just an encouraging verse for me to to think through. Like, it's a process; it takes time, um, but to know like God's at work, just chiseling yeah. away. Um, chapter four, um, as you read that, it kind of helps us to answer two questions. I mean, like. Like, like, why haven't people come to Christ? Or why would someone not believe in Jesus? It helps us to answer that. But then the, another question is, like, why would anybody believe in Jesus? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so what Paul says is like, hey, when people don't believe in Jesus, it's because Satan has blinded their minds. And so I think it's important for us to know Satan wants to do everything he can to keep us from ever knowing Christ. And mm-hmm. he, he wants to blind us. He wants to keep us. Um, he wants to put things in our sight that distract us or keep us from ever looking towards Jesus. But then the question is like, according to Romans 3, we're like, well, who, like, how could any of us choose God on our own? Or, or like Ephesians 2, when it says we were dead mm-hmm. in our trespasses, like, well, dead people don't grab onto life rafts. It's like, well, how could anybody be saved? And he's like, well, because God has intervened. And we can debate like to what degree that intervention happens. But to some degree, if God doesn't intervene, if God doesn't shine in our hearts to enable us to know Jesus, we would never make a choice to follow Christ. And so we kind of see the reason why some people don't. Satan's blind to their eyes. Why does anybody? It's because God has has intervened and, and shined um, the, the knowledge of the light of Christ in our hearts. But um, chapter 4 also helps us to understand how Paul kept going in the midst of some pretty severe trials. Like When you think about like, Think about going through the book of Acts. What are some yeah. things that Paul dealt with? It's like he gets run out of town. And mob, gets, mobs are like always yeah. following the dude. Like trying to stone him. One time stoned. Yeah. <laughs> not not in the getting high Unsuccessfully. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like, they think he's dead, dragged him dead into town. They're like, just yeah. put him out the engine. He's like, gets up. He's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> still alive. Jumping over city walls. Yeah, he's shipwrecked multiple yeah. times. Three times shipwrecked. Yeah, I think um, so. So like oh, tossed into prison. Yeah. So like dusting of time. It's, it's like he's been through the ringer and and he just and so it's like, how does he keep going? And he basically says, look, if this helps people to know Jesus, then it's all worth it. It doesn't matter what I go through in life, no matter how hard it gets, if people are coming to know Christ, I can endure it because I know what's on the other side. Mm. And as we get to chapter five, Paul continues to tell us that following Jesus isn't easy. But if it, but he basically says like, look, I get it. Like my life is is nothing to envy. Like no one's like, I would like to, I would like to follow Paul's shoes. It's like, can I? I would rather not go through all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes, look, when I stand before God, if I have to give an account of how I live live my life, like I don't want to see anybody in eternity that I've known, anybody that I've crossed paths with, anybody that 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 can say like, well, why didn't Paul tell me? Like he was my neighbor. Mm-hmm. Or we went to the gym for seven years together. He never said it. He's like, he's like, look, I don't want anybody to be able to say, well, Paul never told me about you. He's like, he's like I, so I'm going to do everything I can to make sure everyone I know has heard about Jesus. And when I hear that, I'm like, I'm not the best evangelist. Like, that's, yeah, <laughs> I think about how many people in eternity were like, well, Jeff could have told me and he didn't. Mm-hmm. Like, thankfully, I believe God's big enough to, <laughs> to tell people despite me. Right. But yeah. at the same time, like, I just feel like Paul had this this conviction that kept him kept him going. Um, any thoughts on that for you when it comes to to Paul being like super passionate about sharing Jesus, even if it's really hard? Yeah, I feel like man, if I had even like a tenth of that drive, I don't know. I feel like there maybe my life would be a lot different in in that realm of things, right? Um, but yeah, I feel like I'm pretty lacking in that sometimes. Yeah. So um maybe that's that's another another next season of podcast evangelism. Um but chapter five has two verses that I, I, I love. And so one is in verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And so thinking through like what it means to be in Christ, it's like we're we're 
baptisms, like a picture of being dead to your old self and made new in Jesus. Then verse 21 says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that kind of explains to us like what it means to be a new creation. Do you, do you know what the theological term is for um, verse 21 or the, the, the name that like church historians and people have given it? Yeah, is that the Great Exchange? The Great right? Exchange, and um, and so theologically, it's called double imputation. And uh, if you're like, what? It's like, do you believe in single imputation or double imputation? People are like, I don't know what imputation means. I don't want. I don't want an amputation. <laughs> <laughs> don't take my. Don't take my leg. Yeah. Um, and so, so basically, Jesus takes our sin, which means that our sin has been imputed to him. So mm-hmm. he's like, like, I'll take God. I'll take their sin. Like all that, I'll take it. So this means we're given a clean slate. Um, but if you give me a clean slate, guess what's going to happen? You're just going to write back all over it again. <laughs> yeah, I think about like last night. Lucy um, took Wit to get some brand new shoes, mm-hmm. and um, and he picks up some white shoes. He's like, "Mom, I like these." And she's like, "Wit, you get shoes dirty." And he's like, "I don't get shoes dirty." He's literally at this moment wearing white shoes that are like grayish brown. Because mm-hmm. of how dirty they are. Yeah. Like, Dude, look at your shoes. <laughs> like, <laughs> if we get you white shoes, they're going to look like that pretty yeah. soon. So it does, like, so Jesus wipes our slate clean, um, but that's not all he does. So not, so not only does he have take our sins, he imputes something of his to us, which is what? His... Like his sinless life. Yeah, his righteousness. Yeah. Like He's like, I'll give you... So I'll take your sin and I'll give you my righteousness. So if this mm-hmm. is a bank account... Um, if our life was in the form of a bank account, we would have all types of credit card debt, oh, yeah. vehicle debt, house debt, just a, amount of debt that we can never pay back. Not not if we Dave Ramsey this thing, we'll eventually mm-hmm. be able to hold up a sign yeah. on Facebook and say, I paid off. couldn't even help. Yeah, he's, Dave Ramsey's not helping. Um, and so Jesus comes in, he goes, I'm wiping the debt clean. But not only does he zero out our account, it's as if he goes, and all the riches I have. Mm-hmm. I'm going to funnel it into your savings account, to your checking account, to all, and I'm just going to give you all these infinite riches that you'll never run out. Like yeah. you'll, you'll be set for life. That's what's happening. And so, so when you think about that, if, if Jesus takes away all of our sin and says, it's done, it's finished, fully paid for, and then says, and I want all of my kingdom to be put into your account, all my wealth, all my riches. And we, when that reality sinks in, how could we not want others to experience that as well? And so that's kind of mm-hmm. Paul's motivation for why is he so passionate? He's like, because I know the reality. I know the reality of what people, where people are in their sin and what they deserve. And I know the reality of what's offered and given to them in Christ. And so I want to do everything I can to make sure people have that, that good news of the gospel for themselves. And so put in that light motivates us in a different yeah. way. Um, chapter six and seven, um, you get the famous youth group verse when it comes to dating. So you go to youth group, your youth minister, and you're like, "I think I'm dating this person, but they're not a Christian." What's he going to tell you? Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, right? And so while I hear that verse, I'm going, "I agree." Like I don't think Christians should date non Christians. I don't think Christians should get married to non Christians. That's actually not what this verse is about. Um, in light of what's happening with the the super apostles, where there's a group of people that are that are kind of going against Paul, he's saying like, hey, those people are unbelievers. Don't be allies with them. Mm-hmm. Like, don't, don't yoke yourself to these people who are against me. And so this is actually more about not yoking yourself to those who are against Paul than it is about dating. Not saying it can't apply to dating, 
Right. That's just not what the verse is actually about. Um, and so, and then in chapter seven, it seems like Paul's kind of wrestling with the letter he sent between first and second Corinthians. What do we call that? Third Corinthians? Yeah. Corinthians. <laughs> the second missing Corinthians. Yeah, the second missing letter. It seems like he's wrestling with that letter. It's almost as if he's if he's thinking back on he's going, man, was I too harsh? Mm-hmm. Should I could I've said that more softly or differently? Ah, and then he goes, he gets word from Titus that the letter actually landed, mm-hmm. and so people were grieved, but in such a way that they changed. Yeah, and so it was kind of like it was kind of like a, a harsh truth that they they struggled to receive, but they received it in such a way that they changed course. And he goes, okay, like yes, it, it was hard, but it was a a godly grief. So if someone said Carter, what what's a godly grief? Would yeah, how would you explain that? I'd probably say that like godly grief is saying that like your heart is breaking for the things that break God's heart. So the the things that I'm torn up about are because of the impact of sin or the impact of like the way that I'm causing harm to other people or it's not it's not as like I feel bad about myself because of all these like gross things. And so I'm just going to sit in pity. It's like saying, Hey, I'm recognizing that like the things that I'm doing are hurting other people. Mm. And so I want to be, I want to be humble and say that like, this isn't all that I can do. Right. Yeah. That's good. Um, when I think about that, I, I try to remember this cause I forget it all the time. Um, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. And so as followers of Christ, Satan wants us to feel condemned. Like, I want you to feel shame. I want you to feel guilt. I want you to carry that around and feel like the worst person ever. And um, so that's so when you sin and you feel condemned, you're like, ah, you're like, I don't need to read my Bible for a couple of days because like, who am I to pick that thing back up with what mm-hmm. I just did? Or I shouldn't go to church this week because if if anybody knew the way that that I was living, you know, Friday night, like they wouldn't want to see me here. So I'll, so I'll yeah. get myself cleaned up and then I'll I'll come back to church once I've had a couple of good days under my belt. Mm-hmm. That that's condemnation, but conviction doesn't come from Satan. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. And conviction is, hey, you need to change, but God's love for you has never left. God God loves you just as much today as He did yesterday. He loves you just as much on your best day as He does your worst day. Um, on my best day, I'm a child of God. <laughs> on my worst day, and um, and so I think there, this this godly grief is is what comes from conviction. Mm-hmm. All right, so ungodly grief I think is is what comes from condemnation. But godly grief is that the Holy Spirit won't condemn us, but He will convict us because He wants to change us to be more like Christ. Mm-hmm. He wants us to be changed from one degree to the next yeah. to be the image of Jesus. Um. Chapters 8 and 9, I would say these are probably the two most powerful chapters in the whole Bible that have shaped my understanding of generosity. And so Paul talks about Christians in Macedonia who want to help Christians in Jerusalem. Like, how, how are Christians doing in Jerusalem? Yeah, not so great. Like, there's a famine. They're not doing well at all. And they're really hurting. And so these are, back in the day, I mean, people didn't travel a ton. So these Christians in Macedonia, what are the chances they're ever going to meet the church in Jerusalem and probably not high. So these are people that they don't, they probably have never met and probably never will meet. And yet 
they're taking up this collection. They're taking mm-hmm. up this offering. And so are they giving out of, out of abundance? No. Well, it says they're giving out of their like severe poverty. Yeah. And so it's not that they have a, a bunch of leftovers. Like, well, let's send the leftovers. They're going, we're, we're hurting, but mm-hmm. we're going to give out of our, out of our poverty because we don't want to miss out on what God's doing to bless his church. And so this is going to be a blessing to other believers and God's using it. We don't want to miss out on what God's doing. So mm-hmm. we'll give out of our, out of our poverty. And this, this reminds me of a couple of years ago, I went to Guatemala and we were looking at partnering with a church in the middle of nowhere. And so we, we go to this town and there's, there's this little hut of a house and there's a kid and the, the pastor starts tearing up and he goes, let me tell you about this kid. He goes, they thought that he was, he was never going to speak or never going to walk. But a couple of years ago, this, this missionary team came in and there was a nurse and she said he was just so malnourished. And so she started giving him Pedialyte, not Pedialyte. What, like what's the form, like baby formula? I'm trying to think of. Um, uh, Infamil? Infamil, yeah. Infamil. Started giving him Infamil and, and over the course of time, so they would give him one thing of Infamil that would last a baby a week or two weeks. Mm-hmm. And that's all they could afford was to give him one of those a month, and then they would stretch it out and just kind of um, ration it. But over the course of time, as he was eating Infamil, he began to speak. Mm-hmm. He eventually began to walk. But this this house, I can't explain the amount of poverty they were living in, but we were there, and that, that church was taking up a collection to help homeless people in Guatemala City, which was an hour and a half away. Um, in this house, this kid was finding stuff that he could give to help the homeless. Mm. I thought that's not giving out of an abundance. That's giving out of severe poverty. And so when you look at chapters eight, nine, what would enable someone to give like that? What would, what would, and not because they have to, because they're like, we don't want to miss out on what God's doing. And Paul would say it's, it's because we look at Christ mm-hmm. because we think about Jesus, that he was infinitely rich. He had all the riches of heaven at his disposal but he chose to make himself poor, leaving it all behind, becoming a fully God, but also fully human, um, living a life of poverty, dying on the cross in the most humiliating way possible. Um, and he did all of that so that he could make us infinitely rich, mm-hmm. that imputation, so that he yeah. could give us the fullness of his righteousness into our account, that we could become co-heirs with him and all that he has in heaven. And so it's like the more you think on Jesus and the cross and what he did, becoming poor to make you rich, the more you think on that, and the more that drives deep into your own heart and grabs a hold of you, the the less material possessions are going to hold you and they're going to be loosened and you're going to find yourself able to leverage those and give those away because they're not your worth. Christ is. Mm-hmm. And um, and so he says the answer to a generous heart is the is the gospel. Yeah. And so it's not it's not a try harder, give more. It's it's really think on Christ until your heart changes and becomes more generous if you want to be like these in Macedonia. And that's why in, in chapter nine he talks about the Lord loves what type of giver? The cheerful giver. Oh, a joyful giver, a cheerful giver. Um that's the type of people we want to be. But the only way we will ever be joyful or cheerful in our giving is if it's centered on Christ and what he's done for mm-hmm. us. Um any other thoughts on generosity? Um, yeah, I feel like in a lot of ways, we're really good at being generous towards like the people that we like, mm. um, or like, hey, it's really easy to be generous to my church because I like the people here. I feel connected to this community, but I think when we look at being generous to the marginalized, 
um, to the people whose society is casting aside, it gets really difficult because that same view that society has for them, we often have. Mm. It's like we see the homeless person and we think, oh, like I, I'd want to give them cash, but they might take it and buy alcohol or they might buy, try to buy drugs with it. So I'm not going to give them cash um, or, you know, like fill in the, the things that we all know that we, we think about when we encounter yeah. people who need just a, the smallest bit of generosity. It's like not they're what they need is not our life, right? Yeah. But they need like sustenance, right? They they need the basic things. And I think in a lot of ways, like we become really fickle hearted because we expect that our generous gift would be spit upon. And so like our heart is not truly generous. It's self self seeking, like yeah. or self, um, like we're looking for, like building up our own image. Yeah, it's good. I definitely could, I could be a more generous person. Um, mm-hmm. I I kind of go in waves where I I get generous, have the right motivation, and then I just slip back in old patterns. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like if it's not something you're constantly fighting for and thinking about our natural tendency is not to be generous. Yeah. At least mine isn't. It's, it's to be self-centered. And so if, if we're not focusing on and remembering Jesus' generosity towards us, we typically won't be generous people mm-hmm. towards others. Well, chapters 10 through 13, um, Paul defends himself against people who don't accept him as an apostle. Um, there's, I mean, these are the people he's, he calls them super apostles. I think it's funny because it's totally <laughs> yeah. sarcastic. And they're more or less saying, if this dude was a man of God, wouldn't he? Wouldn't his life be going better than it is? If he was, I mean, if he was following God, like surely, he'd he'd have nicer clothes. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't be homeless. Yeah. <laughs> Which, of course, that makes sense, right? For yeah. the culture, like you look at the the priests in the temples to the gods, right? They're living lavish, luxury lifestyles. They get all of the gifts. They get first pick on everything. They they are rich and they are wealthy and they look like it too because yeah. they have God's favor and God's favor is shown in gifts of monetary wealth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so to this is people are questioning him saying, I mean, if you're in sin, things go bad. Mm-hmm. If you're not in sin, things go good. Look how many things are going bad. You sure you want to follow this guy? Yeah. And, and so Paul goes, look, I'm not a good speaker, which always I find super encouraging. The amount of times he mm-hmm. goes, I don't preach well. Yeah. Um, and he goes, everything that could go wrong for me seems to go wrong. You know, thanks, Murphy, your mm-hmm. law. Um, he goes, but my boasting isn't what I've done. My boasting isn't in what I could do. My boasting is in Christ and what he's done and is doing despite my weakness. So if I'm weak... That mean and this stuff and this much ministry is being accomplished. Mm-hmm. This many churches have been planted. This many people have come to know Christ. This many people have been baptized. He goes, he's like, in all of my weakness, if this type of stuff is happening for the kingdom of God to further, that just means that Christ is working that much greater. He's that much better than we could have imagined, or he's mm-hmm. that much. So I, my boast is that despite my weakness, Jesus is stronger, and that's my hope. Um, but as we get into this, you know, chapter twelve as Paul's continuing this defense against these people who are questioning him, he says some things, you know, as people are like bragging in the, their, their supernatural experiences, he goes, mm-hmm. I know a guy who's been to the third heaven, who's seen things that he's not even allowed to talk about. 
Yeah. And so some questions came in. Someone said, who is the guy he knows? I know a guy. Yeah. Was, hey, I mean, my plumbing messed up. It's like, I know a guy. Mm-hmm. Is, is this, someone said, is that John? Is he talking about John and his revelation, you know, in chapter four, when he gets called up to heaven, is that what he's talking about? Mm-hmm. And is, is any thoughts? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's himself. So that's what, as I, I did a, a very superficial yeah. <laughs> um, research into this. Yeah, and, yeah. and it seems like the, the, most people who've who've wrestled this said this is probably Paul. Yeah, and he's he's hesitant to draw attention to himself because because other people are bragging their experiences. He's he's not trying to do what they're doing, but so he's he's speaking in the third person. Right. Yeah, yeah. But this is most likely that Paul went up and had an experience. He's like, I don't know. He's like, I don't even know if it was physical or spiritual, but I had this experience, and I've seen things, I've heard things from the mouth of God that I'm not allowed to even talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that leads to the second question, which is. What's the third heaven? Yeah. Is, are there levels of heaven, Carter? Like, if if you were a pretty good Christian, do you go to level one? If you're a really good Christian, do you go to level two? And if you were a saint, do you go to level three? What what, what do you think the third heaven is? Yeah. Well, I have no idea. I kind of hope it's not that because uh, I don't think I'd be on the saint level. <laughs> um, I think it, is it the Church of Latter Day Saints that has the different levels of heaven? Maybe I can't remember. Pretty sure. I'm not sure if Jehovah Witnesses do or not. But um, so. During this time, there was common to believe that there was the heavens, which is where the birds and clouds are. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the higher heavens, the highest heavens, which is where the, the stars, the sun, the moon. Right. And there's the third heaven, which is beyond what we can the, see. Like and so, actual heavenly but it's, realm. But it's not talking about right. these. these. It's basically like, hey, we, we've got what we can see, the heavens. But beyond that, it's like I, I went beyond that to an, to an mm-hmm. unseen realm. And then the, the last question out of this was what was the, do you have any thoughts on what the thorn was? Paul said he had this thorn in his side. He pleaded with Jesus three mm-hmm. times to be taken away. Have you, have you done any research or ever thought about what the, or heard what the thorn might be? Yeah. I feel like, and maybe I'm just misremembering, but I feel like at one point, um, so like with the Enneagram and like relating the Enneagram to, um, biblical characters who represent the numbers, uh, I think Paul is cons- the often used to represent a one. And I think part of that was saying like, hey, maybe his thorn was like um, persistent perfectionism, um, like the the pursuit of like being known for things being perfect, right? Yeah. Are um, you a one? Yeah, just a little bit, maybe a lot of bit. You get to, you get to be Paul. Who's the, <laughs> who's, the, who's, the, who's the three? I can't remember. <laughs> I just paid attention to the one because it was about me. Yeah. It was a little selfish, huh? <laughs> You're like, I like this guy, Paul. I'm a one. All right. Anyways, so it could be the perfectionism. Yeah. Um, so I've heard I've heard that it could be like it could be psychological struggles. Mm-hmm. That one, I mean, we talked about, you know, shipwrecked three times, beaten to the edge, you know, until they thought he was dead if they stoned him. I mean, lashed 40 times minus one a few times. I mean, he's he went through <laughs> rivers that were dangerous. He just was at sea yeah. for a day and a night, just floating. Um, yeah. So not to mention he was responsible for the death of many yeah. Christians before he so, became a follower. Yeah. So, so simple said it, it could be like a PTSD. It could mm. be depression, anxiety that it could just be psychological. I've heard people say that it, it could be, he's talking about his opponents. Just, mm. they won't go away. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard other people say that it, it, 
might be a physical affliction. I've heard people say that maybe he was he had bad eyesight. Yeah. Um, who knows? And I've also heard people say it could be demonic harassment that mm. he's just under spiritual attack. Obviously, not spiritual possession, but that he's just constantly being attacked. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. All I know is that Jesus answers his prayer when he says, "Can you take it away?" Jesus basically says, um, "My grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness." Yeah. Which I think is probably the gentlest no <laughs> in Scripture. Yeah. It's like, nah. No, you're all right, because I'm here. Yeah, not going to take it away. Um, but as we go through Second Corinthians, I would say the value system that we see people putting on these, quote, super apostles, mm-hmm. well, look how everything in their life is going well, look how many people follow them, yada, yada. it kind of turns our culture upside down because we value a lot of the same things. Yeah. So to think about, okay, are we going to determine to listen to someone as a credible voice within Christianity? What are some of the things that we tip, typically value that to make a judgment call whether or not this person has the right to speak? Yeah. Uh, we always... I'm not like saying we, you, but you're saying in general. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we always look at the their accolades, like their academic okay. uh, career. Like, yeah. have they written a lot of books? Are they... Um, did they attend a really good university to get their degree? Yeah. Um, are they connected with other celebrity pastors or other... Yeah, who do they rub shoulders with? Celebrities in general. What conferences yeah. are they invited to go speak at? Or, or, or have they ever been invited to a conference? Yeah. Like, this Do they have their own TV channel? <laughs> um, do they have a little blue mark next to their Instagram name? Yeah. Do they pay for the blue mark now? What, is, what does Twitter give you? Or X? What's, uh, what's it called? I know, I know. Mark. Actually, on both now. So you have X and on then Meta, you can pay for a verification check mark. I'll be. So, but all that to say, we look at those things and say, okay, well, look how many followers they have. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then they've written books and, and they, they rub shoulders to this person. Therefore, they must. And, and if we look at Second Corinthians, we're turning it upside down saying, hey, those aren't the things that we should be valuing in someone. Not saying that just because those things are true, someone they're not credible. Right. But the things we should value would be someone's um, ability to push towards Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like you, know, you see you see humility, you see weakness. You don't you don't see the the things that we typically boast in as the things that we should look to for credibility. So I think it really turns that value system yeah. upside down. And I feel like on the on that side of it, right, it's saying like how reactionary are they, right? Like I think we kind of trend towards the the people who are really reactionary and they say the things that maybe we think, but no, we should probably never actually say out loud. Yeah. So we're like, I'm willing to listen to this really extreme person because they're saying the things that are kind of satisfying some of the stuff going on in my head, even though I should know that what they're saying and their their posture is not a Christ-like posture, and they're not saying things how Christ would come at this. Like yeah. it's really polarizing, and that's not how I should be living. Yeah, let's see. That. I was listening to a podcast last week on on my Friday is my my yard day, mm. so I try to get the yard picked up. And I I, I was raking leaves, listening to a podcast, and someone said, you know, as as pastors, Bible teachers, you can make a point or you can make a difference. And sometimes we can make a point and get applause, but the person that we want to reach is the person who hears those applause and feels a little bit uncomfortable. Mm. <laughs> and so the way that you make that point um, with a posture towards 
doing so in a loving way towards the person you actually want to reach. Like that's what it takes to make a difference. So you can make a point and get a lot of applause, Yeah, but you're, you're really not making a difference to the person you, you say you want to reach. So mm-hmm. as you're saying that that came to mind. Um, yeah. So when it comes to second Corinthians also, when we think about what a transformed life in Christ looks like, you know, and we look at Paul's life, who is a really good example of Jesus. How does this shape the way that we would think our lives will look as Christians? Because yeah. we can fall into this trap of thinking, hey, if I follow Christ, I'm, I'm not going to have allergies. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never get sick. Yeah. Tried that, didn't like it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, so, so like, or that, yeah, if I follow Christ, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a more prosperity. Like I'm going to have a better mm-hmm. job, a better house, you know. So, but as we read Second Corinthians, does a transformed life look like health, wealth, and prosperity? No. No. I feel like a lot of times, like, our expectation is not met in this realm. And yeah. and I think that's a good thing, right? Saying that not everything is going to go really easily. Because I think yeah. if it did, I don't think we would appreciate who God is. Like yeah. I, I, we would appreciate what he's done because it's made us feel really good, but we wouldn't appreciate him for who he is. That's good. Yeah, I think I think it's a great place to end. That if as we're following Christ, um, we're not promised an easy life. Um, I had a way of wording that when you said it. I started thinking about my response before I let you finish your question. Oh yeah, dang it! I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways, what you said was great. Let's sure. just end it there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so it does. It does totally change our perspective that that following Christ, we're not promised easy. Um, we're not. We're not promised a a, a prosperous life. But we are investing in eternity. We know that what's to come um, is better than anything this world has to offer. And we're promised that he's going to be right there with us the whole time. Yeah, that's right. That he'll never leave us. That's right. So no matter what you're going through, we're not promised it'll be easy, but we are promised that Jesus will be with us. And if he's with us, we'll be okay. Yeah. All right. Well, next week, we're moving into a rapid. We're starting to hit multiple books at a time. Yeah. Um, so, so it's going to be hard. We'll do our best. So we'll be back. Yeah. You ready to hold on? Yeah, we'll be back next week. All right.